0: Chapter One of Rose Mather: A Tale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Céline Major. Rose Mather: A Tale by Mary Jane Holmes. One, the War Meeting. The long disputed point as to whether the South was in earnest or not was settled and through the northern states the tidings flew that sumter had fallen and the war had commenced with the first gun which boomed across the waters of charleston bay it was ushered in and they who had cried peace peace found at last there was no peace then and not till then did the nation rise from its lethargic slumber and shake off the delusion with which it had so long been bound political differences were forgotten republicans and democrats struck the friendly hand pulse beat to pulse heart throbbed to heart and the watchword everywhere was the union forever throughout the length and breadth of the land were true loyal hearts and as at roderick Dew's command the highlanders sprang to view from every clump of heather on the wild moors of scotland so when the war-cry came up from sumter our own highlanders arose a mighty host responsive to the call some from new england's templed hills with hands inured to toil and hearts as strong and true as flint some from the empire some the keystone state and others from the prairies of the distant west it mattered not what place had given them birth it mattered little whether the green mountains of vermont the granite hills of new hampshire or the shadowy forests of wisconsin had sheltered their childhood's home united in one cause they rallied round the stars and stripes and went forth to meet not a foreign foe but alas to raise a brother's arm against another brother's arm in that most dreadful of all anarchies a national civil war in the usually quiet village of rockland the utmost interest was felt and though there as elsewhere were many whose hearts beat as warmly for their southern friends as when the sun shone on a nation at peace all felt the necessity of action and when at last the evening came in which the first war-meeting of that place was to be held a dense and promiscuous crowd wended its way to the old brick church whose hallowed walls echoed to the sound of fife and drum strange music for the house of god but more acceptable in that dark hour than songs of praise sung by vain and thoughtless lips in the centre of the church the men were mostly congregated while the seats nearest the door were occupied by the women the wives and mothers and sisters who had come with aching hearts to see their brothers sons and husbands give their signatures to what seemed their sure death warrant conspicuous among these was widow sims whose old-fashioned leghorn with its faded green veil was visible at all public gatherings its broad frill of lace shading a pair of sharp gray eyes and a rather peculiar face it was very white now and the thin lips were firmly compressed as the widow tried to look resolute and unconcerned when two of her sons went forward their faces glowing with youthful enthusiasm as they heard the president repeat their names john sims eli sims the widow involuntarily said it after him her mother's heart whispering within her isaac won't go he's too young i can't give isaac up and her eye wandered to where her youngest boy was sitting twirling his old cloth cap and occasionally exchanging a word with the young man next to him william baker who together with his brother arose to follow john and eli sims scarcely however had they risen to their feet when a woman occupying the same seat with widow sims uttered a cry more like the moaning howl of some wild beast than like a human sound no harry no bill no no and the bony arms were flung wildly toward the two young men who with a dogged indignant glance at her fell back among the crowd where they could not be seen muttering something not very complimentary to the old woman as they called her but the old woman did not hear it and if she had it would have made no difference it mattered not to her that they had ever been the veriest pests in the whole village the planners of every grade of mischief the robbers of barns and plunderers of orchards they were her boys and she didn't want them shot so she continued to moan and cry muttering incoherently about the rich treading down the poor and wondering why judge warner didn't send his own white-fingered sons if he thought going to war was so nice i wouldn't make such a fuss let what would happen to me said the widow sims casting a half-contemptuous glance upon the weeping woman whom she evidently considered far beneath her and adding they had not sight better be shot than hung as an aside to the young woman just behind her sweet annie graham who was holding fast to her husband's hand as if she would thus keep him in spite of the speaker's eloquent appeals and the whispers of his companions who were urging him to join the company forming so rapidly before the altar there was a terrible struggle going on in annie graham's breast duty to her country and love for her husband waging a mighty conflict the former telling her that if the right would triumph somebody's husband must go and the wife-heart crying out yes somebody's husband must go i know but not mine not george very tenderly george graham's strong arm encircled the girlish form and when he saw how fast the tears came to the great dreamy eyes of blue and thought how frail was the wife of little more than a year he bent down until his chin rested on her pale brown hair and whispered softly to her don't annie darling you know i will never go unless you think i ought and give your free consent had george graham wished he could not have chosen a more powerful argument than the words unless you think i ought annie repeated them to herself again and again until consciousness of all else around her was forgotten in that one question of duty she heard no longer the second speaker whose burning eloquence was stirring up hitherto reluctant young men to place their names beside others already pledged to their country's cause leaning forward so that her forehead rested on the railing in front she tried to pray but flesh and strength were weak and the prayer ended always with the unuttered cry i cannot let george go while the fingers twined more and more closely around the broad warm hand which sought a while to reassure her and then was withdrawn from her grasp as george arose and politely offered his seat to a lady who had just arrived and who after glancing an instant at his coat accepted his civility as a matter of course but withheld the thanks she would have accorded to one whom she considered her equal spreading out her wide skirt of rich blue silk so that it nearly covered poor annie she threw her crimson scarf across the railing in front hitting widow sims and so diverting the attention of mrs baker that the latter ceased her crying while the widow turned with an expression half curious half indignant annie too attracted by the heavy fringe and softly blended colours of the scarf a part of which had fallen upon her lap as the widow shook it from her shoulder with a jerk stole a glance at the newcomer, in whom she recognised the bride the beauty the envied belle of rockland rose mather from boston and wife of the wealthy and aristocratic william mather who three months before had ended the strife between the rockland ladies as to what fair hand should spend his gold and drive his iron grays by bringing to his elegant mansion a fairy little creature with whose exquisite beauty even the most fastidious could not find fault childish in proportions and perfect in form and feature she would have been handsome without the aid of the dancing brown eyes and chestnut curls which shaded her girlish brow rose knew she was pretty knew she was stylish knew she was fascinating knew she was just then the rage and as such could do and say what she pleased sweeping back her chestnut hair with her snowy hand she gave one rapid glance at the sea of heads around her and then in a half-petulant tone exclaimed to her companion i don't believe will is here i can't see him anywhere didn't you know he had enlisted asked a young man who had made his way through the crowd and joined her for an instant the bright colour faded from rose mather's cheek but it quickly returned as she read in Mister wentworth's sigh a contradiction of his words will enlisted she repeated such people as will don't go to war it's a very different class such for instance as that one going up to sign upon my word it's the boy who saws our wood and she pointed at the youth offering himself up that just such people as rose mather radiant in silks and diamonds and lace might rest in peace at home knowing nothing of war and its attendant horrors save what came to her through the daily prints Widow Sims heard the remark, and with a swelling heart turned toward the boy who sawed Rose Mather's wood, for she knew who it was, and it did not need the loud whisper of Mrs. Baker to tell her that it was her boy, the youngest of the three, the one she loved the best, the baby who kept the milk of human kindness from turning quite sour within her breast by his many acts of filial love and his gentle, caressing ways. How could she give him up, her darling, her idol, the one so like his father? dead ere he was born who would comfort her as he had done who would give her the good-night kiss timidly stealthily lest the older ones should see and laugh at his girlish weakness who would bring his weekly earnings and empty them slyly into her lap who would find her place in the prayer-book on sunday and pound her clothes on monday long before it was light who would split the nice fine kindlings for the morning fire or bring the cool fresh water in the summer from the farther well and who when her head was aching sadly would make the cup of tea she liked so much homely offices many of them it is true but they made up the sum of that mother's happiness and it is not strange that for a moment the iron will gave way and the poor widow wept over her cruel bereavement not noisily as mrs baker had done but silently bitterly her body trembling nervously and her whole attitude indicative of keen unaffected anguish rose did not know the relationship existing between the widow and the boy who sawed her wood but her better nature was touched always at the sight of distress and for several minutes she did not speak except to tell mr wentworth how much brother tom had paid for the crimson scarf one end of which he was twirling around his wrist to annie it seemed an enormous sum and a little overawed with her close proximity to one who could sport so expensive an article of dress she involuntarily tried to move away and avoid if possible being noticed by the brilliant belle she might have spared herself the trouble for rose was too much absorbed with the group of admirers gathering around her to heed the shrinking figure at her side and after a time as widow sims recovered her composure she resumed her gay badinage, bringing in will with every other breath and showing how completely her heart was bound up in her husband notwithstanding the evident satisfaction with which she received the flattering compliments of the gentleman who since her arrival at rockland had made it a point to admire and flirt with the little boston belle laughing loudly at speeches which from one less piquant and attractive would have been pronounced decidedly silly and meaningless rose was not well posted with regard to the object of that meeting she knew that sumter or charleston had been fired upon she hardly could tell which for she was far too sleepy when will read the news to comprehend clearly what it was all about and she had skipped every word which brother tom had written about it in his last letter the one in which she enclosed five hundred dollars for the silver tea-set she saw in rochester and wanted so badly rose was an accomplished musician a tolerable proficient in both french and german and had skimmed nearly all the higher branches but like many fashionably educated young ladies her knowledge of geography comprised a confused medley of cities towns and villages scattered promiscuously over the face of the earth but which was where she could not pretend to tell and were it not that brother tom had spent three winters in charleston leaving at last his fair-haired wife sleeping there beneath the southern sky she would scarcely have known whether the waters of the atlantic or of baffin's bay washed the shore of the palmetto state and still rose was not a fool in the ordinary acceptation of the term she knew as much or more than half the petted belles of modern society and could say smart foolish things with so pretty an air of childishness that even those of her own sex who were at first most prejudiced against her confessed that she was certainly very captivating and possessed the art of making everybody like her even if she hadn't common sense on this occasion she chatted on in her usual style provoking from george graham more than one good-humoured smile at remarks which evinced so much ignorance of the matter then agitating the entire community will wouldn't go to the war of course she said supposing there were one which she greatly doubted northern men particularly those of rockland were so hateful toward the south she didn't believe boston people were that way at all at least brother tom was not and he knew he had lived in charleston and described them as very nice folks indeed she knew they were herself for she always met them at newport and liked them so much she didn't credit one word of what the papers said she presumed mr anderson provoked them tom knew him personally you have another brother besides tom won't he join the army asked mr wentworth a smile curling the corners of his mouth rose sighed involuntarily for on the subject of that other brother she was a little sore and the mention of him always gave her pain he was not like brother tom the eldest the pride of the Carlton family he was jimmy handsome rollicking mischievous jimmy to those who loved him best while to the boston people who knew him best he was that young scapegrace jim carleton destined for the gallows or some other ignominious end A prediction which seemed likely to be verified at the time when he nearly broke a comrade's head for calling him a liar, and so was expelled from college covered with disgrace. Something of this was known to Mr. Wentworth, and he asked the question he did just to see what Rose would say. But if he thought she would attempt to conceal anything pertaining to herself or anyone else for that matter, he was mistaken. Rose was too truthful for anything like duplicity, and she frankly answered, We don't know where Jimmy is they turned him out of college and then he ran away it's more than a year since we heard from him he was in southern virginia then mother thinks he's dead or he would surely write to some of us and a tear glittered in rose's eyes as she thought of recreant jimmy sleeping elsewhere than in the family vault at beautiful mount auburn rose could not however be unhappy long over what was a mere speculation and after a few moments she resumed the subject of her husband's volunteering she knew he wouldn't if he did vote for lincoln she was not one bit concerned for no man who loved his wife as he ought would want to go and leave her and the little lady stroked her luxuriant curls coquettishly spreading out still wider her silken robe which now completely covered the plain shilling calico of poor annie whose heart for a moment beat almost to bursting as she asked herself if it were true that no man who loved his wife as he ought would want to go and leave her In a moment, however, she repelled the assertion as false, for George had given too many proofs of his devotion for her to doubt him now, even though he had expressed a desire to join the army. Then she wished she was at home, where she could not hear what Rose Mather said, and she was about proposing to George that they should leave when Mr. Mather himself appeared, and she concluded to remain. He was a haughty-looking man, very fond of his little wife, on whose shoulder he laid his hand caressingly as he asked, "'What she thought of war now?' i just think it is horrid and rosa's fat hand stole up to meet her husband's mr wentworth tried to make me think you had volunteered but i knew better the idea of your going off with such frights why will you can't begin to guess what a queer-looking set they are there was our milkman and the boy who saws our wood and canal drivers and peddlers and mechanics and rose did not finish the sentence for something in her husband's expression stopped her he had caught the quick uplifting of annie graham's head had noted the indignant flashing of her blue eye the kindling spot on her cheek and glancing at george he saw at once how rose's thoughtless words must have wounded her he had seen the disgusted expression of widow sims as she flounced out in the aisle and knowing that the boy who sawed wood was her son he felt sorry that his wife should have been so indiscreet still he could not be angry at the sparkling little creature chatting so like a parrot but he felt impelled to say you should not judge people by their dress or occupation the boy who saws our wood has a heart larger than many who make far more pretensions rose tried to pout at what she knew to have been intended as a reprimand but in the excitement of the jam as they passed out of the church she forgot it entirely only once uttering an impatient ejaculation as someone inadvertently stepped upon her sweeping skirt and so held her for a moment producing the sensation which nearly every woman experiences when she feels a sudden backward pull as if skirt and waist were parting company with the hasty exclamation who is stepping on me i'd like to know she turned just in time to hear annie graham's politely spoken words of apology i beg your pardon madam they pushed me so behind that i could not help it it isn't the least bit of matter returned rose disarmed at once of all resentment by annie's ladylike manner and the expression of the face on which traces of tears were still lingering who is that will she whispered as they emerged into the moonlight and george graham's tall form was plainly discernible together with that of his wife will told her who it was and rose rejoined he has volunteered i most know poor isn't he not very rich most certainly was mr mather's reply then i guess he's going to the war was rose's mental comment as if poverty were the sole accomplishment necessary for a soldier to possess a conclusion to which older and wiser heads than hers seemed at one time to have arrived annie graham heard both question and answer and with emotions not particularly pleasant she whispered to herself rose mather shall see that one man at least will not go even if he is a mechanic and poor and clinging closer to george's arm she walked on in silence thinking bitter thoughts of the little lady who delighted with having will on one side of her and mr wentworth his partner on the other tripped gaily on laughing as lightly as if on the country's horizon there were no dark threatening cloud which might yet overshadow her in its gloomy folds and leave her heart as desolate as that of the widow sims or the wailing mother of harry and bill End of chapter one